Okay, I was just um, reading up here on little Chloe. She's scheduled for surgery in Salt Lake City Friday to um, at the Primary Children's Hospital in Salt Lake City, Utah, Friday. And they're going to insert a, a G-tube uh, to help her uh, start eating better, getting more nutrition. And then hopefully that will be a means of getting a home um, real soon. So let's continue. I know you've been praying, Chris and Allison, been praying for little Chloe. I think um, when we get everybody in here in a little while, we'll have just a special prayer for Chloe. Um, but um, right now, let's go ahead and bow as we prepare for class. Holy Father, again, we're thankful. We know all blessings from you, Lord. All things, Father, big, small, and everything in between. We're so grateful, Lord. We're thankful for time, like, times like this to study and to reflect and to grow. Help us to do so this evening. We pray, Father, for little Chloe, Allison, Christopher. And pray for all things being done to to help the baby get stronger. We pray, O oh Lord, that you be with them, be with all that's been mentioned lately on our, on our announcements and our bulletins. And we pray, O oh Lord, we know that you know the needs, and we pray that you would uh, use your powerful hand to help. We're thankful for this time that we can reflect and study, and we also, Father, want to petition you to help us and in every good endeavor that we're trying to do. We pray you be with all the vacation Bible schools that are ahead of us uh, this year. We pray also, Father, that as we have uh, various guest speakers that we can grow and, and be able to be stronger and be more of an influence uh, in life. We pray now, Father, for this class and all those meeting uh, this evening. We're mindful, Lord, of the great love wherewith you are, have loved us and are loving us, Father. Help us to walk in the steps of our Savior. Forgive us, Lord. We fall way short. We pray, Lord, that you would forgive us when we, when we do. Help us to be quick to, to be humble and repent. In Jesus' name, amen. Please start with me uh, this evening in Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, we'll be flipping around a little bit, but I think we've got some good thoughts ahead of us, so let's, let's start in Matthew 8. Someone tell me, as we get started, what is a centurion? What is a centurion? He had a hundred men. Yeah, men Roman army. Okay, Roman army, captain, sergeant major, if you will, over about a hundred men. So the word centurion, the title centurion. There are several of these found in the pages of the New Testament. We want to focus 
on one or two and then mention several as well. If you'd like to write down in Acts 27, 1 through 3, there's a centurion there called Julius. And he was very kind to Paul as they got started on their journey from Judea, Jerusalem, all the way over to Rome. In Acts 22 and 23, Acts 22, 25 mentions a centurion. And also Acts 23, 23 mentions two centurions. And they're just simply looking after Paul because the Jewish opposition to Paul was rather violent when he arrived in Jerusalem, Acts 21, 22. And so it took um, captains and sergeants to look after Paul to keep him from getting hurt, keep him alive, really. Well, here in Matthew 8 and also Luke 7, there's one particular centurion that we want to read about. And so let's read... Um, Let's read from Matthew 8, and then we'll jump over and read from Luke uh, 7. Matthew 8, beginning in verse 5. Matthew 8, beginning in verse 5. When he entered Jesus, when he entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and, and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he, he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I say to you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. And I tell you, many will come from the east and west and recline at table, sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. In that place there will be the weeping and the gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Now we have a, an extension of this same account from Luke in Luke 7, 1 through 10. Let's look at that right quick. Here you'll see that Luke adds some details that Matthew uh, does not. So let's start in Luke 7, verse 1. Luke 7, verse 1. And after he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him, earnestly saying, he is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who had, um, who had built us uh, our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. 
when he was not far from the house, a centurion sent friends saying uh, to him, Lord, uh, do not trouble yourself, for I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, uh, I did not presume to come to you, but just say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me and I say to one go and he goes and to another come and he comes and to my servant do this and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turning to the crowd that followed him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who have been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Well, this is interesting that Jesus marvels at this man's faith. He's amazed uh, at his faith. Jesus, in fact, marveled at both good faith and bad faith. In Mark chapter 6 and verse 6, he had uh, been teaching in his hometown of Nazareth, and the people there were slow to believe. And he marveled at their unbelief there in Mark 6, verse 6. Here he is marveling at the great faith of the centurion. Okay. We want to quickly notice the, the obvious good traits of this man and then hopefully move on. All right. We all see here um, his compassion for his servant. What is the condition of the servant? Why is he begging Jesus to come? What is the condition of the servant from what we just read? Almost at death. What else? He's paralyzed. And he's suffering terribly. Okay. Paralyzed, suffering terribly, and almost right at the point of death. So there's, there's an urgency uh, to this. And it says here that the centurion highly valued uh, his servant. He was very dear to him. Had a very close a relationship. This may be unusual if you think about it. Slaves in those days were were looked upon by many just being tools, just being objects to use and dispose of as you as you wish. Uh, the servants or slaves of that day they had absolutely no social standing what whatsoever, and so for a um, for a worldly person, befriending a slave um, wouldn't, wouldn't do anything for your life if you're a worldly person. It, would, it wouldn't gain you anything socially or financially uh, whatsoever. But this centurion, this centurion, who, who obviously had um, some money because he had built a synagogue for the Jews, according to Luke's account, um, he had compassion for his servant. So this may be a little bit unusual. It does seem that as you, you can do your own reading on this, but as you find these centurions throughout the New Testament, they all seem to have a, a heart for that which is good. At least primarily have a heart for that which is good. The kindness of this centurion toward his servant here is something that just kind of jumps off uh, the page. 
And um, even in our day, um, I know I've experienced it. Um, those in management, a lot of times, will be kind and considerate and upright uh, toward others in management. But when it comes to those of the rest of us, uh, they will be kind of standoffish or uncaring or, or whatever you may, you may call it. Okay. Perhaps you've experienced that at work over the years as well. But uh, that's not Christian. The, the centering here is showing us how to follow the Lord, how to be a Christian in this, in this regard. He's, he's kind it seemingly to everyone, even to those um, who would be uh, subordinate uh, under him. Okay. So that's one trait of this man of faith, this centurion that kind of jumps off the page, is he, is, uh, he has compassion for his servant, and he knows where to go. He's, he knows to come to Jesus. What about, um, secondly here, what, what about the centurion's faith? What about his faith? What? Explain it to me. What, what do you like about his faith? He obviously has great faith in Jesus. What? Okay. Yeah, he believes in the power of Jesus, Brother Houston is saying. And uh, all he's, he believes that Jesus just has to say the word. Just say the word. Uh, and it's done. In other words, he fully believes that Jesus doesn't have to be there for the miracle uh, to take place. That's a great belief in the power of Jesus. That's what he believes. Just say the word. Just say the word. I know you've got that underlined uh, in your Bible. I know it's just, it just really speaks to his faith. Let's look at a similar occasion in John 4. Flip, flip, flip with me to another healing, and we'll come back to this. Right, quick. But just look over to John 4, 46. John 4, 46. Jesus, this is also, this is also in the area of Galilee. Uh, but Jesus comes to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was very sick. And when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Verse 50, John 4. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. And the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. And the father knew that this was the hour when Jesus had said, notice that, had said to him, your son will live. Jesus doesn't have to be there uh, to do the miracle. It's just an amazing thought about the power of our Lord. doesn't have to be there. Okay. This is a little bit different. You remember when Jesus came to the scene 
when um, Lazarus had died, John 11? And what did Mary and Martha say to him at first? That's right. Lord, if you had been here, uh, they would not have died. Okay. And that's, that's, so the, the centurion here knew that Jesus didn't have to be there. Okay. And Mary and Martha believed in the power of Jesus, but they're still, they're still growing uh, in the knowledge of his power. And so he's there, and he's there, and he comes to the tomb of Lazarus. Does he have to go inside the tomb? He just had to say the word, right? Lazarus, come forth. He said, remove the stone. And he who had died, been dead for four days, he who had died, he who had died, uh, came forth. All the bodily functions began to, to, um, to happen again. Just because I love to, and it helps my faith, I like to read that in John 11, 40. 3 and 44. When he had said these things, this is Jesus, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, came forth. John eleven forty four. His hands and his feet bound with linen strips. He came out and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said, unbind and let unbind him and let him go. Jesus doesn't have to be there for it to happen. See. You think? Well, he knew what he was doing, didn't he? So absolutely, the, the faith of the centurion is, is a faith in the very power of Jesus and the power of his word too, the power of his word. You know, the world was created by the word of Jesus, wasn't it? Is that right? Yeah. Hebrews eleven three. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. Yeah, the, the whole let there be light and the lights came on, did can you do that? You can flip a switch. Let there be light, and here we go. But, go ahead. Good point, Aaron, saying that the Lord has said things to us and we ought to have the same faith in that word as the centurion had in Jesus' word. Has the Lord declared us forgiven? We submit to his will, repent. So what does he, what does the Lord think when we doubt our salvation? He says, you're forgiven, you repent, you're baptized, you're forgiven. Confess your sins, you're forgiven. And it's the same word, the same word that declares that to us. Very good. 
And so another quality, that's, that's the quality of compassion, quality of, of faith. And to go along with that, I see here, and see what you think. I see, I see that the centurion understands God's grace a little bit, don't you think? What, what phrase shows you that? What phrase shows you that you think the, the centurion understands the grace of God? Okay, Sam's saying that the uh, centurion knew how authority works, and that's certainly true. Okay, this is interesting. The phrase, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. Yeah, I think this speaks to several things. Ultimately, he believes in God's grace. And that he knows he himself is a sinner. But I do think Aaron's saying the, the Roman centurion is a Gentile. And you notice in Luke's account, Luke says he sent some Jewish elders to go and ask Jesus to solicit Jesus' help. And they come with Jesus and they get close to the house. And the centurion sent other friends out there and says, Look, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. And so he sees himself as a Gentile, Jesus as a Jew, but I think also a little bit more than that, he sees himself as a sinner and the Lord as a Lord of love and gracious to extend his love to us. I'm not worthy. That's what, the, that's what the prodigal said, right? When the prodigal son headed home, didn't he say that? He said, this is my plan. I'm going to go to my father. I say, Father, I have sinned against heaven, against you. I'm no more worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your servants. The Apostle Paul, we studied a couple of weeks ago in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 9, he says, it's not right to even call me an apostle. Don't call me an apostle. I persecuted the church. I did all these things. He was claiming his forgiveness, but he also wouldn't let go of the fact that God's been so gracious to him. So I think the, it seems to me that the centurion is, is humble and uh, the grace, he understands God's grace there. Sam also, that's correct. He understands authority. And I think he's leading up to the fact that he's never seen authority like Jesus. Yeah, men operate under different levels of authority and different occupations. But no one has ever seen the kind of authority that Jesus has. Just say the word. Just say the word. And it'll be done. Now... A commander just says the word and you're, you're expected to obey. And um, my dad was in Army Reserves and he would spend two weeks every summer in, at, at camp. They had uh, military camp. 
military exercises. And he would come home and he would talk about that you did what was expected of you. And oftentimes that was just in a little small tent in the middle of a field in South Mississippi. But you stayed there until they told you to, to come out and do your next thing. So he's explaining to Jesus, I understand authority to an extent, but you have all authority. So we see his faith here, and we see that he understands the Lord's grace. Now, the Jewish men he sent ahead of him, there in Luke's account, um, they add something here. They, they come to Jesus and they say, look, this man is worthy. It's interesting. They're saying this man is worthy, and yet the centurion is saying, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. These men have greatly exaggerated my importance here. I'm not really worthy. But the man had built them a synagogue, and um, he loves our nation. And I want you to notice that with these Jewish men. He loves our nation. That, that's important. He loves our nation. He's built us a synagogue. Okay. Uh, but the centurion himself says, I'm not really worthy, but please, uh, can you heal my, my servant? So we see his compassion. We see that he recognizes the authority of Jesus. We see he has uh, incredible faith. He understands uh, the mercy of our Lord. Where do you think he got such faith? From the Jews. What he heard on the crowds that happened to Okay. Mike's saying he got his faith from the Jews, from the crowds. You think he had heard Jesus speak? Do we have any indications that we that he probably did hear Jesus speak? Where is all this taking place? What what's the town? The Galilean town here? <coughs> Capernaum. Capernaum. Look look back at Matthew four with me. Matthew four. Beginning in verse 12, Matthew 4, beginning in verse 12. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, did our Lord, by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Now here we go, Isaiah 9, 1 and 2 being fulfilled right here in Matthew 4. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death. On them a light has dawned. Why has there been a light? Because Jesus is there teaching. And this centurion is from Capernaum. And here Jesus has already been. In fact, many scholars say Jesus used Capernaum as his base of operations while he was in Galilee. As he come back here, he had a place to stay there and he just kept coming back to Capernaum and kind of worked from there during his Galilean uh, ministry. 
And so most likely, or it's a good likelihood that, that from these experiences, the centurion had heard Jesus uh, preach. Notice the people who dwell in darkness. We've got some darkness today, don't we? I mean, that means sin. Sin was rampant when Jesus came to the earth. It still is. It will be in different ways all the time. Well, I was just listening to a YouTube thing a little while ago. Let's see if I can pull the guy's name up here. Well, can't pronounce his last name, but his last name starts with an A. His first name is John. That's easy, isn't it? But he's going around different school boards and he's protesting a couple of books that are making the rounds in the libraries of public schools. Here, he is speaking at Asheville, North Carolina. But the book has graphic sexual material in it actually showing the sex acts. And it's available for kids 10 years old and up in public school libraries. And this guy is taking upon himself, he's a religious teacher of some sort, but he is addressing, and Fox News was interviewing him. I think that's why it popped up on my phone um, a little while ago. And I listened, it was about a five minute interview, but you could probably Google John, um, Asheville, North Carolina, uh, school board. Uh, his, um, his little web thing is erased, but it's not, it's not spelled with an S, it's spelled with a C, E-R-A-C-E-D, erased book, erasedbook.com or something. Uh, but as fast as our media is today, all you gotta do is have a couple of keywords but um, that just illustrates that not only was the land of Zebulun and Naphtali sitting in darkness, we're sitting in darkness, and the world needs the light of Jesus and his teachings as much as they ever uh, have, have needed it. So we see here this Capernaum connection. Now going here to Matthew 8, Jesus uses this as a springboard. He says, I haven't found... No, not such great faith. No, not even in Israel. And he uses this as a springboard to say that many from the east and west shall come and sit down in the kingdom of God and in the very company of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay. Or Jesus saying, not many days hence, there's going to be a great influx of Gentile believers into the kingdom of God. Remember these Jewish men sent ahead to talk to, the, to talk to Jesus had said, hey, this guy's worthy because he's built a synagogue for our nation. He loves our nation. He's been kind to our nation. And Jesus is t telling them, look, those of you who think you're the sons of the kingdom, you just might find yourself cast out into outer darkness where there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In fact, you are. That's what's going to happen to you if you don't stop rejecting me as your Messiah, as your Lord, 
That's exactly what's going to happen to you. And so Jesus, in commending this man's faith, who's a Gentile, the centurion is a Gentile, and yet his faith outshines, brightly outshines, these men of Israel who should have known better. So notice the contrast there. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. That's that's common among people that 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 they think that we are to reach out to those who have done who can do something for us, who have done something for us. You know, um, I think that's why the the disciples were so astounded uh, when Jesus challenged the rich young ruler, "Go sell all you have and give it to the poor, and take up your cross and follow me." The disciples said. Lord, who can be saved? If this guy can't join us, then who can be saved? You know, it's, it's not about what a person can do for us. It's about what the Lord can do for people. You know? So that's a good point. Good point. They didn't mention a thing about his faith. Okay. Just, it was a, they were focused on the Jewish nation, and, and Jesus is trying to get them to say, look, the Lord's church is about to be established Isaiah had prophesied all nations shall flow into it. And so he's trying to prepare them uh, for that. Okay. Let's run over to this other centurion in Matthew 27. Matthew 27. There are several centurions. You know, Cornelius himself. I love to study about Cornelius. He was a centurion too. So think about all these centurions in the book of Acts. Cornelius, Acts 10, 1 and 2, who Cornelius himself was a very compassionate man. He feared God, prayed always, gave alms to people. I'm telling you, these centurions had an insight into God. Even the one who helped Paul get ready for his trip to Rome treated him kindly. Well, here in Matthew 27, Jesus is going down the cross, and there's a centurion in charge. Now, this man's, this man's duty on this day is to make sure that these three men are crucified. And he does this all the time. All the time. He's very well qualified to do this. Okay. But something happens here that's kind of not ordinary. On down in verse 54 of Matthew 27, notice when the centurion and those who were with him keeping a watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with ESV here says all, A-W-E, and said, truly this was the Son of God. Look at this centurion. What has happened here to make this man, who, who we would easily call a rugged man, if he's, if he's accustomed to 
to overseeing crucifixions, okay, constantly throughout the week. How can this man come to faith? What was it that brought this man to, to say, surely this, this is the Son of God? Aaron is saying that possibly he's overseen the crucifixion of other men who had claimed to be Jesus, but nothing claimed to be the Christ. And nothing like this has ever happened. Nothing like what? The earthquake. What about the earthquake, Houston? What, what was that about? The bell in the temple... Ripped in two. And the rocks split. What about the graves? Yeah, the graves opened and then after, get this, after, after Jesus raised from the dead, those people came out of the grave. People came out of the grave. Think that's what, you think that's what happened? They just all stood right there at that earthquake? They all came out. They stood there. They didn't go to the city after Jesus resurrected. Well, right there in your Bible, Matthew uh, 27, 45 all the way down to 54, you can read about it. It does talk about that curtain of the temple that was torn. That thing was about 60 feet long, 20 feet wide, th pretty thick too. The tombs were open. Many of the bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and they came out, verse 53, after his resurrection they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Centurion, you know, there was darkness too. What about the darkness? So Verse 45 says, about the sixth hour, there was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. Okay. Quite possibly the centurion, this centurion here, okay, different centurion than what was in Capernaum. This is another centurion, of course. But this hardened centurion, he, he had enough sense about him to say, hey, this is, this is, this is heavenly here. I mean, the graves are opening, there's an earthquake, the darkness is over the land, and Jesus is, is acting with such compassion. Turn over to Luke 23, the same, the same occasion. All right. Yeah, many of the bodies of the saints that slept who had died, arose. Saints. Not a lot of emphasis. Is that a big deal to you? It's creepy. Zombies, but not. Who, who, who were these people? 
what was the reaction of the people when they walked into the city? All alive again. Here's, here's Uncle Frank. Long gone. Here he is. How many? What was their reaction? Rocks are crying out. The other rocks are crying out here. They're saying something. Okay. I'm with you, Paul. I read it too, but I don't have any any more answers than, than that. It happened. And amazing that there's not more information about it. But that's, that's the most interesting thing about the Bible is it will tease you along a little bit. But you can talk to these people when you get to heaven. Think about that. These very people, it says they're saints. So these people who got to get up and come back to life at the time of the cross will be in heaven. And you can talk to them for a long time. Get all your information. Get all the details you want. Right there. So, yeah, there's a lot going on here. But Luke 23 kind of adds to our story here. Um, Luke records it just a little bit different. See if we can pick it up. Verse... um, 44, 23, 44, 23, 44. It was was now about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour while the sun's light failed. That's that's from 12 noon to 3 p.m. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. By the way, this is the day... This is the Day of Atonement. Um, Right there at that moment, on the Friday um, of Passover time, there would have been priests right there serving and would have experienced that tearing of of this curtain. All right, verse 46. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, he said this, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, Luke says, saying, certainly this man was righteous. This man was innocent. This man was a righteous man. He's the son of God. He praised God. Seems like this centurion had gathered quite a bit of information about about Jesus. Not only experiencing what happened at the cross, but praising God for this. Praising God for this death. He heard Jesus speak into eternity. Father, I'm coming your way. 
so he's he's recognizing that there's an eternity before him as well. So he turns to Jesus. You know, Jesus had said, John twelve thirty two. He had said, "If I be lifted up, what?" It seems like that's happening with the centurion here. Jesus is lifted up, and that centurion is being drawn toward the Lord. Well, take off and study these other centurions, and it's very interesting. One evening, I would love to do a study. It takes a little while on uh, Cornelius, but um, it's... There's a lot of details on Cornelius. hard to get it in in one class, but maybe one day we can study Cornelius the centurion. Interesting that God chose a centurion to be the Gentile in the gospel too. Chose a centurion to be the Gentile. Yeah. Good, good point, Mike, in that here's a centurion of faith and then the one at the cross, and then, of course, the household of Cornelius was chosen uh, to first receive the full gospel. That's a good point. Very good point. Yeah. Yeah, good point. Good point. They were they had the authority to roam and they could take the gospel with them. <laughs>